Thank you, guys. Um, boy, it's good to be here with you today and to worship with you. And uh, exciting because of uh, Stephen Elliott's uh, ordination to come and serve as a deacon here. And uh, also just want to take a moment just to say thanks to all those that serve. Uh, Mike and Bart, who are rotating out, and the, the other deacons that have rotated out, but those that are going to continue to serve, and I'm excited that Island Merritt is going to come back in as an elder, but you know, God is just doing good things, and I appreciate everyone that is here to serve Him. Uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I saw something that I've never seen before in all of my 62 years on this planet, and, and I believe it was the first time that it has ever happened in history. Da-da-da, we need a drum roll or something there. <laughs> it, it was actually during a Monday night football game, the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals, about midway through the first quarter, and many of you already know what I'm going to talk about, but the Bengals receiver caught a pass, and as he turned up, he ran right into Bill's defensive player named DeMar Hamlin. And Hamlin took the brunt of that shot from the receiver's helmet into his chest. Now, it was pretty much nothing spectacular. I mean, we've seen hits like that a thousand times. It didn't look that vicious, actually. But afterwards, DeMar Hamlin stood up and uh, about three seconds, and then his, his body started wavering. And he fell and collapsed. The players on the field immediately knew something wasn't right. You could tell by their reaction, by the fear in their eyes. And the medical staff and trainers came out quickly and they began to work with Damar. Telecast went away for a commercial. And several times they did this. And every time they came back, they were saying, hey, they're still working on him. You know, we'll be right back. And... One time they came back and they said uh, the medical staff had been giving him CPR, which, ooh, that took it to a whole other level. Ambulance came out on the field, and probably from the time it started to the time they took him, 15 to 20 minutes in there. And again, in all my years of watching football on TV, I've seen ambulances come on the field. Uh, I've seen games get paused because of a player's injury, uh, but I've never seen a game suspended due to a player's injury. We certainly have seen games suspended because of weather, but I've, I've never seen this. Paul Gibbs mentioned last week in his prayer time that uh, it had struck him how many people were talking about prayer after this event. Even ESPN announcers or talking about the need to pray. You don't see that anymore, right? Guys were getting on their knees to pray. Why the sudden interest in prayer? Well, because this is something that I think everybody realized was sort of beyond us. This was life and death. This wasn't your normal circumstance. Now, I think everybody did a great job for DeMar Hamlin. You know getting him the help that he needed. In fact, you know, uh, most folks realized at that moment that he was getting the help he needed, but he needed some supernatural help too. And praise God that he's improved and he's actually gone home. Doesn't seem to be any neurological damage. Um, he's even visited his uh, teammates. Uh, so things are going well for him. And his, uh, his 
uh, work that he's trying to do for the kids in the city, uh, that went from a $2,500 goal to like $8 million, maybe even more than that. What is it now? $30 million. He was hoping for $2,500 and now $30 million. This is, this is incredible. And if, and if he hadn't had this happen to him, nobody would still know about that thing. I don't know. When things like this happen, they cause us to question stuff in our life. And the biggest question maybe we have to answer, and I think all of us have to answer this question. Who's in control? Who is in control of my life? Now, up to that moment, and I don't know DeMar, I'm sure he's a wonderful guy, and I heard he was a Christian man, but he probably felt like he was in pretty good control of his life. I mean, he appeared to be in good health. He was physically strong. He was playing the game that he loved. He was making money. He was raising funds for kids that he cared about and all all seem to be going as he had planned, and then in a split second, everything changes. You know, friends, there is this illusion of control that we humans carry with us. There, there's a poem that speaks sort of to man's attitude about things that come up in life, and I've shared this before. Many of you probably know it from your days in school, but William Ernest Henley wrote Invictus. How many of you are familiar with the, the poem, out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever God's may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud under the bludgeonings of chance. My head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond the place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and will, shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. I can almost see somebody shaking their fist at God and saying, I don't care what you do, I'm in charge of my life. And I'll do what I want to do. The idea behind that poem certainly is the unconquerable spirit of a man. No matter what comes, no matter the circumstances, he's not going to bow and he's not going to cry out in fear. Now that's all good and well as, you know, many people look at that and they see that as praising the unflinching human spirit. But there's a line in that poem that, sort of troubles me. The last stanza hints of this illusion of control. I mean, he believes he's the captain of his own soul, the master of his own fate. And I would say to some degree that is true. We do control what we do or how we react to things. We do have free will that God has given us. But there is a truth in the fact that no one is totally in control of the circumstances of their life. How many of you can attest to that? That there are things that have happened that just all of a sudden, bam, life was going along. You know, I, I was talking to Mia this morning. I don't want to embarrass her, but her knee messed up. Meniscus, is that the problem? I mean, she's healthy. She's a great athlete, and all of a sudden, bam, there goes the leg. 
As a Christian, I come to realize that I need God. Any of y'all realize that? Uh, I have to choose how I'm going to live my life. And in that sense, I, I am in control of my responses, of my choices, of my reactions. But I don't control what happens externally. In other words, I don't, I don't want to be the captain of my soul. <laughs> I want God to have the throne of my heart. I need to make God the boss of my life. And that means what God says goes. We don't live in a world where most people want to humble themselves before Almighty God. Y'all realize that? We live in a culture where it's, it's, it's all about humanity. It's all about man. What I want didn't what I desire. Most people cling to this illusion of control and they don't want to submit their lives to God. Now we're in the third week of this series we're calling the Daniel Dilemma in which we are learning how to stand firm and love well in a culture of compromise. And we've met some guys from Israel. When the Babylonians conquered Israel, they stripped it of its finest young people, the, the people that would be the leaders in the future. And some of those men were Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they came into this foreign culture, and the culture tried to change them and mold them into what the culture wanted them to be, but they refused to compromise. Now, they didn't do it in a hateful way. They didn't do it in a, you know, I'm going to be persecuted for God here. No, they, they did what God called them to do in a humble manner. Last week, we introduced King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, you could see that this was a pompous, arrogant man. He believed everybody should do whatever he wanted them to do. Nobody ever said no to him. Until he met the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You might remember in the story that he wanted them to bow down to this golden image he had created 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. And yet they refused to do it. And even when they were threatened, well, I'm going to throw you into this fiery burnace and burn you to a crisp. They said, you know what, that's okay, you can do that. And, and God can save us, but even if he doesn't, hey, hey king, we're not going to worship your gods. We're not going to bow down to you. And so he was angry and he threw them in, and then as he's observing, he sees, wait a minute, weren't there three men that we put in that furnace? How come there's four men walking around in that furnace? And at that moment, King Nebuchadnezzar this arrogant, pompous man exclaimed that the God of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was the most high God. Now that's something that those guys understood already. That God is the boss. And they showed the king this truth. And that's why the king would trust Daniel as much as he would in the future. Now in today's text, this is sometime later. The king has a dream, and nobody's able to interpret it. So he comes to Daniel to get an answer to some questions, 
and to help him with this problem. And as we read their story, I want you to think about your story, about our story. We have the same questions that have to be answered. Who is in charge of my life? So I want us to go over to Daniel chapter 4. You can follow along on the screen behind me or uh, read in your Bibles. We begin reading in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, and this is sort of from his point of view as you read this. To the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are His signs, how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Sounds like a different king, doesn't it? Well, you'll see why as we continue to read. He, he shares, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous, like many in our culture and maybe many of us. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. And so I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He is called Belshazzar, after the name of my God and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its, its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, Cut down the tree and trim off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground and the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone He wishes and sets over them the lowest or lowliest of people. This is the dream 
I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can because the Spirit of the Holy Gods is in you. Now, let's first of all recognize something about this story. Even though the king had in the past, previously, acknowledged that Daniel, his God, was the Most High God, he still is putting his faith in his gods, the Babylonian gods. So when he still seeks the wisdom of the other gods to answer his questions, doesn't that reveal a little bit about the fact that he is not humbling himself before Almighty God? Now, I don't know if you noticed the last line there, but he made the comment that the, the spirit of the holy gods is in you, Daniel. So I think he still has a misconception here. He is a believer in all those gods. It sounds like he just added their God to his long list of gods. God was using this event to reveal himself to King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel interpreted that dream, and he had the courage to tell the dream what the consequences of it were. We pick up again in verse 19. Then Daniel, called Belshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. And so the king said, Belshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. See, he didn't want to give the king bad news, but this is bad news. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals, having nesting places in its branches for the birds. Your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. So the basic gist of the dream was that King Nebuchadnezzar was having a dream about himself. He is the tree, and he had become great. But God was going to bring judgment against him. He would be driven away from his people and live like a wild animal. He would eat grass and live out under the stars where the dew of heaven would drench him. God wanted King Nebuchadnezzar to acknowledge that God is sovereign over the kingdoms on earth and God gives them to anyone he wishes. One day... The kingdom would be restored to King Nebuchadnezzar. That's a part of the dream. After he acknowledged God's sovereignty. And at the end of that passage, Daniel sort of beseeches King Nebuchadnezzar. I believe Daniel liked King Nebuchadnezzar. I believe Daniel wanted to help him. I believe that he didn't want the king to have to go through this. And and so he told the king what he thought the king should do. He said, renounce your sin. Do what is right. Be kind to the oppressed. In other words, 
humble yourself before Almighty God. Now we don't know what the king's reaction was on that day when Daniel told him the message of his dream. When the narrative revisits the king, it's a year later. And we're left to assume that Daniel's message sort of fell on deaf ears. But there's a question that, you know, as I read this, I certainly had. Last week, didn't, didn't we read that King Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged the Jewish God as the Most High God? And the answer is certainly yes. He said that, but apparently a lot of people can say something and not really mean it. Like a lot of people call themselves Christians. But they don't really mean the same thing that I mean. I mean, when I use the word Christian, I mean you believe in Jesus and He is the Lord and Savior of your life. Other people, I don't know what they mean. I think there are some people that say, well, I can be a Christian and not even believe in Jesus. I don't know how that can be true, but I think it's the same kind of situation. You see, King Nebuchadnezzar didn't quit worshiping his gods. He did not exclusively worship the God of heaven, and he certainly didn't acknowledge that God is sovereign over all. So a year later, we pick up the narrative again, verse 28 of Daniel 4. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar 12 months later as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. He said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. <laughs> little arrogance, I would say. But consider what he's saying. He's claiming all the glory for himself. That he had built Babylon. And he's not giving God the glory. Sounds like the exact opposite of what Daniel tried to get him to do. So in verse 31, we read, even as the words were on his lips, a voice from heaven came. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone He wishes. And immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from the people and ate grass like the ox. Can't you imagine all of the wise men and all the people seeing what was happening with the king, and they're saying to themselves, he has lost it. He has really, he has flipped his lid. He is, he is out there eating grass. When we got all this good food on the king's table, his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. He, he, he's like living like a homeless person. I can hear him thinking that kind of thing. And at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. And then I praised the Most High. I honored Him and glorified Him 
who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, What have you done? And at the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out. And I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all of his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Now God used that whole situation to bring Nebuchadnezzar to his knees so that he could recognize who God is. The king had to lose his mind in order to find his mind. He had to be humbled in order to be lifted up. But finally, after going through all that hardship, he came out on the other side with a clearer image of who God truly is. And finally, he humbled himself and gave glory to God. Now, like King Nebuchadnezzar, the world finds it hard to give God glory. And sometimes we do too. And that's why we can say that the world has gone mad. Listen to me when I say this. The world, and I want to be very clear, When I say the world, or I refer to the world, I am referring to those who do not recognize God as God. And the world has lost its mind. And I'll tell you the biggest problem with our world, and maybe even the biggest problem that we still struggle with, it's one word, pride. Y'all know what I'm saying. You can consider all the sins that man commits, but the underlying reason for each one is our own pride. We know what God wants us to do, but we're not going to do it because we don't want to do it. We believe we don't have to answer to God. We are the captain of our souls. You might remember Psalm 10, beginning in verse 2. In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak who are caught in the schemes he devises. He boasts about the cravings of his heart. He blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord. And in his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. Boy, if that isn't a description of our world, our culture today... The world does not recognize God. The wicked man has no room for God. And this is madness. You know why it's madness? Because when you do something that leads to your own destruction, wouldn't you say that's madness? And that is what has taken place. The writer of the Proverbs writes in Proverbs 11:2, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. 
but with humility comes wisdom. See, the culture and its pride, we don't need God. We don't need to follow God's rules. We're going to do our own thing. In Proverbs 16, 18, we read that very famous quote, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. What Daniel knew and what David and Solomon knew was that pride is ultimate madness. Our pride causes us to think we don't need God. We only need ourselves. I mean, look, we've got science. We've got human education. We've got money. We've got power. We've got the Internet. We have improved medical knowledge. I heard one famous popular preacher make the statement, if science and religion come to different conclusions, you have to accept science. Like, now I think true science is going to prove what the Bible says. I really do. But if we want to change our gender, just have, a, just have some surgery. That's what medical science has brought us to, Right? You don't have to be how you were born. You can change all that. If, if you, you want to decide that, uh, you want to decide what kind of baby you have, well, we got DNA stuff. We can clone things. I mean, we have become brilliant, haven't we? Or if we find out that that baby may have some challenges that will make life a little difficult for us, well, we can always abort. Our pursuit of personal happiness is more important to us than obeying God and being humble. But friends, we can't live without God. We might be able to skirt by when times are good and not acknowledge God for all of the blessings that He's poured into our life, but there will be times when we have to humble ourselves like King Nebuchadnezzar and realize we can't do this on our own. We need to turn from being self-sufficient to being God-dependent. And most of you have heard about my family growing up. My dad was a preacher. And from all I can hear, he was a pretty good preacher. People where he preached loved him. But my dad had some problems. And I'm sad to say that he gave in to some destructive behaviors. He had affairs. He was dishonest when it came to money. By the time I was five or six, he and my mom were separated. My dad never came to a ball game that I had, never came to anything that I was doing as I was growing up. He missed my graduations. He missed my wedding. He missed my kid's birth. So when the girls were young, I think Alyssa was maybe five and Sydney one, uh, we took a trip up to Richmond and tracked him down. He was living on his own. He was struggling with aphasia. He had a blood clot that went to his brain. But I was able to communicate with him, and I asked him a question when it was just he and me, he and I. And the question was, why? Why did you give up your family? 
Why did you abandon us? Why, why did you have to seek after all of this other stuff rather than being a good husband and a good dad? Why would you make that choice? And I'll never forget his answer. Pride. It was pride. He thought he could do whatever he wanted to do, whatever came in his heart, whatever he desired. He knew he was wrong because he knew the Bible. But his pride led him to follow his own desires over God's desires. And I believe the blood clot woke him up to the fact of his pride. It humbled him. And I do believe he repented and he called out to God. Here was a man who had made his living with his ability to speak. And again, apparently did a pretty good job of it. But it was all taken away from him. That's what happened with King Nebuchadnezzar. It's the world's problem. But you know, friends, it can be our problem too. Even those of us who believe in God, who humble ourselves before Him, who accept Christ, pride can sneak in. It gets into our families. A husband and wife having to win the argument against each other. It has to be my way or the highway. If I'm not happy, then I'll do what I want to in order to satisfy my happiness regardless of what God says father says to a child if you don't do what I tell you you're not my child I disown you don't ever come back or the child wants freedom but not responsibility and they rebel against the parents and their pride will not allow them to humble themselves and say I was wrong please forgive me siblings fight over Who's going to get their way? Think about how pride destroys other relationships. At work, someone treats others like they're better than everybody else, smarter than everybody else. How does that make the whole team feel? Someone never listens to other people's opinions. They want to shut them down or belittle their thoughts. And thus they destroy communication because who wants to talk to somebody that's going to treat them like that? Someone in the church has an opinion. Rather than allowing other people an opinion, they get angry and act unkind towards their brothers or sisters. It's all pride. Pride was Satan's folly too. He wanted to be worshipped. And you know, friends, it is madness. God is the God enthroned in heaven. If you try to replace him, hide him, push him away, act like you don't know him or don't need him, friend, you are headed for destruction. You're headed for some bad days. And I hope and pray that you will come to your senses as Nebuchadnezzar eventually did. We have to understand the answer to this question. Who is in control? Who's in control of our life? Nebuchadnezzar had to learn that ultimately God is in control. Now, Nebuchadnezzar had the illusion of control because he held a powerful position. 
Nobody would ever say no to him. But when he lost everything, he couldn't control his own life. And in our culture, man wants to be the boss. And this is a part of the pride issue we just discussed. But every time we try to control things and take over God's rightful place, trouble comes. When we remove ourselves from God's protection, we open ourselves up to tragedy. And God allows this because He gives us this free will. And He allows us to choose. One person may choose to delve into drugs and alcohol, and instead of relying upon God and seeking God, they begin to seek the high that they get from a substance. This isn't God's choice for them, but He allows it. They want to be in control, and given the reins, they crash and they burn. How many people have lost everything due to an addiction? How many people have stolen and lied to their loved ones and friends and people who care about them just to get the money to support their own addiction? How many people have gone to jail due to an addiction? How many people have died due to an addiction? You know, the lie the person tells themselves is that they can control it. They made the choice and they think they can control it. And by the time they realize that control is an illusion, it's too late. And they've hurt the people that love them the most. And they've hurt themselves. Another person may desire Sexual activity outside of marriage. They have multiple partners. God allows them to choose even this, even though it's not His will. They want to control their choices and they follow their desires. How many people have contacted diseases because of such behavior? How many marriages have failed because someone wanted to give in to those desires? How many families have been destroyed because of this? They think they can control it. They think that they can hide it. They think that they'll get away with it. And they lie to hide the truth. But ultimately, friends, you know what? The truth catches up. Control is an illusion. I want to go back to Daniel's words to King Nebuchadnezzar. He had a choice whether to tell the king the truth or not. <laughs> And I'm sure it was a little scary for him to tell the truth. Hey, this is going to happen to you. But he chose to tell the truth in a loving way. Looking back to verse 27, these are Daniel's words. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right. And your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. Daniel called for the king to humble himself before God and allow God to reign in his life. And it wasn't until the king did this that he was once again in a position of power. Now, friends, most of us recognize that we are not in control. And again, I asked earlier, how many of you seen that? And I'm sure every one of you could have a story of like, hey, you thought life was going along great, and then all of a sudden the rug's pulled out from under you, or something happened medically, or something happened financially. So, something could happen today or tomorrow that could totally change 
the course of your life. It could be a diagnosis. It could be the loss of a job. It could be some financial crisis. It could be an injury, a wreck, or an accident. In one moment, we're walking along and everything's great, and the next moment, life is turned upside down. And like Damar Hamlin, we are playing the game we love, and without warning, our life is hanging in the balance. Maybe some of you are there now. And in that moment, we realize who truly is in control. It's not me. I need to submit myself to the will of God. And the world prays to God. Why? Because deep down inside, we know where our help comes from. David knew. He wrote in Psalm 121 too, My help comes from who? The Lord the maker of heaven and earth. Because God is in control, we must humble ourselves and seek Him. Exactly what Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar to do. And when we do, God will lift us up. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Friends, God is in control. And when we accept that and humble ourselves Nothing is going to separate us from Him. No matter what comes in life, no matter what tragedy or what trouble, God will have our backs. You might remember Paul's words in Romans 8, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the what? The love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The one in control loves you. No matter what you've been through, you need, that he, you need to know that He loves you. And maybe He's allowed you to go through something so that you can humble yourselves before Him, so that you can turn to Him, so that you can seek Him out in a deeper way than you have been. He doesn't want us to be separated from Him. And so when we choose to control things and give in to our desires rather than His, we separate ourselves from Him. But on the other side of that coin, if we accept Him, if we draw near to Him, if we seek Him and His control over our lives, He blesses us. That doesn't mean we don't have problems. It doesn't mean that we won't experience loss. It doesn't mean that we, ha we, we will become powerful and rich if we just, you know, submit to God. That's not what it's saying. But we have the comfort of His presence in our life through all of those troubles. Those of us who know this, like Daniel, need to communicate it to others who need to know it. I really love how Daniel simply said to the king, be pleased to accept my advice. 
I don't see Daniel pointing his finger at the king. He was inviting the king to listen to his advice. When the door opens, let us share that same advice in a loving way. And this is how we stand firm and how we love well in a culture of compromise. Make sure God is given the proper place in your heart and in your life. He is in control. O Lord, our Lord. How majestic is your name in all the earth. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Father, we realize that ultimately... You are in control. We can't really control many things. We want to, but we discover that we're weak, we are fragile. Our pride leads us away from you, Father. Humble us and bring us back to you. We repent of our prideful ways. We ask you to forgive us. You are sovereign over our lives. And we ask that you make us more and more aware of your sovereignty. May we live in such a way that people seek our advice as Nebuchadnezzar sought Daniel's advice. As they struggle with the same life issues that we do. And like Daniel, may we take that opportunity to speak your truth and love. It's in Jesus' name we pray.